I want to uh, just kind of unpack the idea that all of us, and this is your first fill-in if you're taking notes on the app, all of us have this fulfillment, this hunger for fulfillment that we're trying to constantly um, make sure is at bay. This hungerful fulfillment. And David, the king of Israel, he said it like this. Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Watch this. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The picture that he is portraying of himself is is that he is this person that is, is thirsty in this desert place. Another t- place in Scripture, Psalm 16, verse 11, he says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is... The king of Israel, he has all the money you could ever want. He's got the biggest house. He's got services. He's got people serving him. He's got maids. He's got chefs. He's got it all. And he backs up and he says this. The fullness of joy is only found when I am pursuing you. The fullness of joy. Uh, You know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, instead of pursuing God while we're living life, and that's the key because you can't stop working and just pursue God. Uh, You have jobs and responsibilities, but the key is, is to practice his presence while you're driving your car. Practice his presence while you're in the meeting. You just never stop praying. Psalms, um, uh, no, no, no. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never, ever stop praying. Never. So you're constantly praying in your head, in your heart. And when you do that, then you begin to find the fullness of joy that people just crave. Everybody does. On the opposite side of the pendulum, as I was saying, are people that say, I can be fulfilled, I can have an awesome life without pursuing God. I can do that. And in fact, I'm so sure of it, that's how I'm going to live my life. Doctors have come up with a term that I recently became aware of. It's a medical condition called anadoni. Uh, if you go home and study it, it's, it's, it's just riveting. It's a riveting read. Anadoni is defined as this. The inability to experience pleasure from activities usually found enjoyable. And the examples are uh, exercise, hobbies, music, sexual activities, or social interactions. This is... A medical diagnosis that doctors are saying people are no longer able to find enjoyment in the things that they used to. And uh, in, in, in particular, um, they, they say this, that they lose the ability to be happy. And when people are in this 
Anadonai state, most often they'll start making these radical decisions to try to shake up their life so that they'll start having fun. Like I had a guy look me across the table. We we're sitting there having coffee. He had tears coming down his eyes. And he said this, Pastor, I just want to be happy. He's making these radical decisions in his life. And he goes, I just want to be happy. This is Anadonai. This is, I'm going to make these radical changes. And, and when people make these radical changes, there are casualties everywhere. Anadonai, there's three specific areas where Anadonai is manifested the greatest. Number one um, is social Anadonai. In other words, you have friends, you have family, but you can't connect anymore. Uh, another uh, is musical Anadonai. This one threw me for a curveball. I saw the first one coming, but the second one threw me for a curveball because it's saying that people no longer enjoy music. And so, for instance, uh, when, when I was growing up, my parents used to play Neil Diamond all the time. Did anyone hear? I mean, I was the only 12-year-old that knew Neil Diamond songs. And, and uh, the Beatles, my dad would play the Beatles all the time. Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da, life goes on. That ah. <laughs> would happen all the time. And, and so for, forever, people have enjoyed music, but you can actually enjoy, have musical anadoni, where it's just, it doesn't stimulate you anymore. You know what I thought is I thought about worship and Adonai, where there once was a day people or an individual would enjoy worship, and now it's just not fulfilling anymore. That's an Adonai. Uh, the third category is sexual and Adonai, where when you're 15, it's like holding a racehorse back. But... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service, so I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> um, but, but then after a while, what ends up happening is that our generation, 2016, our society, maybe I should say it that way, is so overstimulated that now there is sexual anadonai. For those of you that come to church here on a regular basis, I always like to use a, a prop just in case if you forget everything I said, maybe you'll remember what I, the prop that I had. And when I think about sexual anadoni, I wonder to myself, if there would be such a thing if there were not pornography on the internet, where there was just such easy access. Um, I think about here on this stage right now, I've got a laptop, I have an iPad, um, uh, I've got a, an iPhone, and, and probably 99.9% .9 of the people in this room have one of these three things either in the room with you or at home. At any point, at any time, we can access the Encyclopedia Britannica. Do you guys remember that? Okay, just lost like a quarter of the room. <laughs> 
do you remember? Raise your hand if you remember the Encyclopedia Britannica. Absolutely. That commercial would come on like every other commercial. Uh, but anyway, um, you can download it. And I recently read this quote. Technology is revolutionizing our lives, but it's ravishing our brains. You know, people, have you tried to sit down and have dinner with your family lately? And at least one person is like, Kayla, is that your friends? Shut up! Is that your friends? I've been meaning to meet them for like a couple months. It's so good to see you guys. How are you? Why don't you stand up real quick? I'm going to introduce you to the whole church. Go ahead, stand up. Absolutely. I love meeting your friends. If I haven't met your friends, I would like to meet them at the growth track after service. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that was just a free plug. But if you sat down with your family to have dinner and it's like this, I get in my car, my son is looking at his phone, my daughter's looking at his phone, and I'm just like, what? am I chopped liver here? I had to tell them, put your phones away. They put their phones away. It's like I just cut their arm off. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mention this to my son, for those of you that know him, because this is like family business, but we're going to, there's a closed door meeting, okay? I came up with a rule. You get 30 minutes of screen time after school per day. That's it. It can be computer. It can be your phone. It can be Xbox. It can be whatever you want. I promise it was like a death in the family. He went into a conniption. He broke down. I said, are you addicted? He goes, no. What's addicted mean? <laughs> I'm telling you, it is like, it, it, my wife sent me an article that, that, that screens are like heroin to kids. The next morning, it was like, yum, pum, pum. we got all these rules. It's, we are overstimulated. And, and what does that cause? That causes anadoni. That causes this, you, you're going for fulfillment in all of these areas. And now you have spiritual anadoni, social anadoni, sexual anadoni. Now nothing can fulfill you. See, here's the reality. Either you look to Jesus to fulfill you or you'll find that nothing fulfills you. That's the reality right there. Absolutely. Put your hands together for that. There's a, a, a guy, uh, let me uh, give you this thought um, I, I, before I, I go into the rest of the message. This is so important. I, I recently read this quote as well. The greatest fear of this generation is not death or disease, it's boredom. The greatest fear is boredom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know what? I ought to challenge you. This is your homework assignment. Before we all laugh at my nine-year-old son, I want you to try to get in your car and drive from point A to point B the next time you're in the car alone and do not talk to anybody on the phone. And don't turn on the radio. No music, no phone. Jeez. <laughs> I just felt you guys go, oh, no. <laughs> What am I going to do? I don't think I can make it. No music, no phone for 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. I don't think I can do it. The, the, I, I'm gonna, it's, it's just going to be like quiet. It's, it's going to be still. 
See, I could almost preach another sermon because so many times we look for God in the extravagant moments and, and God is found in the still quiet moments. That's another sermon for another day. And don't tempt me, I'll chase that rabbit and never catch him. Here's, the, here's what I want to unpack for you. There's a guy in the Bible named King Herod. He suffered from Anadoni. He tried to pursue fulfillment in every single area of his life and he came up short. Finally, he thought, maybe if I can get that girl, that would just solve everything. The problem was, is that girl was his brother's wife. Bad news. He walked out hand in hand with her to go see a preacher in the desert by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the kind of preacher that you guys would love. He doesn't tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear just so that they'd come back. He drops bombs. He looked at the king and he said, you, sir, are, actually, I'm not even going to, I'm going to put it, I'm going to use his words. He said it just like this. Where am I? Let me find it. Hold on. Yeah. Matthew chapter three, verse two, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then John publicly, watch this, criticized Herod, the ruler of Galilee for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife. Now, you shouldn't even marry a woman named Herodias, first of all. <laughs> we'll get to the brother's wife thing later. You don't marry. <laughs> and for many other wrongs he had done. He was just reading his mail. So Herod put John in prison, adding this to adding this sin to many others. That's in Luke chapter 3. And so he throws the guy in prison. Now, a few weeks later, a few months later, what ends up happening is that it's time to celebrate King Herod's birthday. Now, if you're the king and it's your birthday, can you imagine this, the music that's there? I mean, Bono is there. Music. There's drinking. There's, there, everybody is just having this huge party. And then it was time for the entertainment portion to begin. The entertainment portion was his stepdaughter comes walking out to dance for him. She's a young girl. Um, it was a very sexual orientated dance. Um, it was a seductive dance. We don't know what kind of dance it was. Um, I don't think it was the hokey pokey because <laughs> that's what it's not all about, okay? You know that was a good joke, John. <laughs> that was a good joke. So here he is. He's being danced before this girl. This girl's dancing and he stands up. No doubt he's drunk. And he says, this girl right here. He's yelling this to all of his friends. I will give her whatever she wants. He's talking out of his head. I will give her whatever she wants up to half of my kingdom. The girl runs out of the room, goes down the hall, opens the door and says, Mom, the king said he will give me whatever I want 
up to half the kingdom. What should I ask for? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. See, we can't understand this because we're in a democracy, like I said last week. Obama doesn't, the president of the United States doesn't have that type of power. But if we were in another country where there was a sheik or a, a king that had that type of power, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. She doesn't know what to ask for. The mother knows exactly what to ask for. She says, I want you to go back to the king and tell him, I want John the Baptist's head off. Put his head on a platter. I am so sick of hearing that guy. I am so sick of hearing his voice. I don't ever want to hear his voice again. Now let's just press pause just for a second. John the Baptist's primary message was a message of repentance. And so anytime you heard John the Baptist preach, he was always saying, repent, get your heart right. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, get your heart right. Repent, get your heart right. Hey, get your heart right. Repent. She did not want to hear the words repent ever again. I don't want to hear repent. I know that I'm probably living in sin, but leave me alone. I know I'm not living right, but leave me alone. Stop telling me what's right and what's wrong. I want to do what I want to do. And so she tells her daughter, go take his head. And she comes back and she says, I want John the Baptist's head. The Bible says that he was incredibly sorrowful. King Herod was sorry that he gave that opportunity. There's three things I'd like to bring out that John would preach about. The first thing that John would preach about was repentance. Get your heart right. The second thing that he would preach about is, is staying ready for the kingdom of God. There's one scripture that reads like this, that, that the enemy sifts you like wheat. Now, every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have a service in here. And, and I was preaching last Wednesday a particular point. I want to share it with you right now. When the enemy sifts us like wheat, you have to understand what that's like. Because all of us have different weaknesses. So imagine an enemy coming to sift you. <laughs> you ever walk into somebody's house who has a dog? And then you walk into your own house and your pet comes up to you and starts... <laughs> And you're like, I know you smell the other person's dog. They it's sifting, sifting, sifting. The enemy comes into your life. Sifting. Where are you weak? Where are you weak? Where are you weak? Sifting. And if he can find weakness, then he calls the hounds of heaven. If this person right here has, a, has an anger issue, an internal anger, they, they're easily angered. <laughs> he calls the hounds of hell. And hell comes out and they all know this person has an anger issue. And wouldn't you know that hell will, will rally. Will, what, what do you do? Uh, whenever you're, 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 you're riding a horse and there's a bunch of cattle and you're trying to get all the cattle. Heard, heard. Hell will herd anger opportunities to anger you. They'll herd it. The hounds of hell will bring opportunities to you 
to stir that up. They have sifted you like wheat. (laughs) They have sifted it out. Let's say a person, their weakness is pornography. It's not anger. It's pornography. They have sifted. (laughs) They've sifted you out. Now they know. They're not going to herd opportunities for you to be angry. They're going to herd opportunities for you to lust. They're going to set your life up to where your head is on a swivel. You can't stop looking at people. You can't help it. They herd those opportunities to you. If you have a weakness, whatever your weakness is, they sift you out. And that's why the Bible says to watch and pray. So pray, but pray with one eye open. (laughs) Because the enemy will come to your house. He knows exactly where you're weak. I went to Academy a a, a couple months ago to buy some bait. And and, and over here, uh, for fish bait. And and over here were, were bait for bass. This was the whole section for bass. If you want bass, use this bait right here. Here's the reality. The enemy knows where you're weak. And so it uses this bait right here. It doesn't use this bait for this person. He's got bait just for you. They have sifted you. So pray with one eye open. This is the message of John the Baptist. And then he would back up and say, no regrets, no regrets. The kingdom of heaven is it near. Live with no regrets. And this is that attitude of, dear God, what do you want from me? And that's why I'm always talking about bringing friends to church because it is the only thing that you can do on earth for Jesus that you cannot do in heaven. This is the only opportunity you have to do that. You can worship here. You can worship there. You can pray here. You can pray there. You can spend time in his presence here. You can spend time in his presence there. But this is the only place, the only opportunity we have to serve him in that way. It is so incredibly important. Now watch this. There's three things that took place while this girl was dancing. Number one is that there was a, the dance took place, but the dance has a cost. You see, if you, uh, the, the one who dances determines the cost of the dance. The person enjoying the dance doesn't determine the cost. The person dancing does. It's interesting because after uh, after the first service, obviously I preached the same exact message during the first service this morning. I was out in the lobby and this guy walks up to me and goes, hey, when I was 18 years old, he's in his late 30s. He goes, when I was 18 years old, I was all excited about the fact that I could go to a strip club. So I went and um, uh, it was the first and last time because of what happened. And he goes, I got to tell you, this is unbelievable. He goes, me and my buddies, we go in there. And this girl came up to me and said, hey, would you, would you like a, a private dance? And he goes, I'm 18. I'm like, heck yeah. He goes in this back room. The song that was playing was like half over. And so that dance uh, was kind of short. And so she said back to him, hey, do you want me to dance for you again? He's like, yeah, keep going. When the dance was over, she told him how much it was going to cost. And he said, 
I'm not, I'm not giving you that much money. And she said, oh, yes, you are. You're getting, so he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you this much. And it was half. I'll give you this much. And she smacked it out of his hand. She goes, no, you're going to give me what I'm telling you. And she walks out. So the guy I was talking to, he said, I walked out of the room. I went up to my buddies and I said, we got to go now. <laughs> like right now. They all walk out. There was four of them. They all walk out and they parked up against a fence out in the corner of a parking lot. He looked behind him and the girl who danced was coming. She had her clothes back on. She's coming. And there was six guys with her. They jumped in the car, and the guy had, the driver of the car isn't just this luck, just got a brand new key cut for the car. So he can't get it to bite. He, he finally rolls it over, but it's too late. They pull a car right up behind his, and he's not going anywhere. They tell him, pulls out a gun. It says, get out of the car. The driver gets out of the car. He goes, not you. Get back in. And the guy I was talking to in the lobby gets out of the car. And he looks at the girl and says, is that him? He walks up to him and just pokes him, puts the gun right up to him. And goes, I think you owe this girl some money. You see, the dancer determines the cost. And he said, hey, this isn't worth that. Pulled out the money, paid it, got in the car, got out. When you have a side of your life that is entertaining you and sucking you in to the point that you have no intentions of repenting. Don't tell me to repent. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I want to tell you, you don't determine the cost. The dancer determines the cost. There will be a cost to that dance, and you will know if you have paid the dancer when you no longer feel the compelling urge to repent. When you no longer feel the compelling urge to repent, you have cut the head off of John the Baptist. See, she has never heard that when Herodias said, take the head off John the Baptist, never again did she have to hear that cry, repent, repent repent. She never had to hear that ever again. She shut him up once and for all. Now can she can live any way she wants to without having to hear that. Repent, repent, repent. You know you have paid the dancer when you no longer feel that voice, not out loud. It's right in here that says, I'm not living right. I've got to get my life right. I've got to get my life right. And when you no longer feel that, you have cut the head off John the Baptist and you no longer hear the cry for repent. Let me give you a series of examples. When you don't feel convicted anymore, when you're looking at things on the internet, you have chopped off the head of John the Baptist. You have silenced it. When you no longer feel the conviction anymore, if you're cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife, you have paid the dancer. When you can freely do whatever it is that you want to do and you don't even care whether God is happy with it or not, you have paid the dancer. When you're not convicted anymore, when you're sloppy, drunk, and stumbling all over the place, 
you have paid the dancer. When you go out with your boyfriend or you go out with your girlfriend and there is no standard of holiness, you don't even care what God thinks about your relationship, you have paid the dancer. When a preacher gets up here and talks about how much God loves you and the fact that he made you and he formed you with a particular plan in mind to fulfill you, but he wants you to be in relationship with him, when that message is boring to you, you have paid the dancer. Number two, the dance can be stopped. If King Herod would have said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Hey, you need to go ahead and leave. If he would have looked at the dancer and said, you need to go ahead and go. Thank you, but you need to go. He would not have had to pay the cost of the dance. If, if our friend that I was telling you about, if he was in there as an 18-year-old kid, if he would have walked into that back room and she went to give him a private dance, well, I didn't know that that's what this was, I'm sorry, and he walks out, there's no payment for that. You, don't, you can stop the dance. Can I just tell you, if there's a part of your life that, that you know that God doesn't want you to have, in, in, in Revelation chapter 2, it talks about a space of grace. In other words, there's a season where the Lord says, come on, man. I love you. I love you. I, I'll, I've got so much to give you. I, I'm a, your life, fulfillment and joy is in my hands. If there was nobody else in the world, I still would have hung on the cross just for you. Here, here's a space of grace. Come on. Just say you're sorry for your sins. I don't even care about them anymore. Just say you're sorry. Let's move forward. Let's live life together. And if you make mistake after mistake, I'm okay. Just It, it doesn't matter about your position. It matters about your direction. Let's just live life together. And, and there's a space of grace for that. And, and if you go through that space of grace where you just... You'll have to pay for it. And none of us know what the payment is. But the dancer sets the payment. Number three, my last and final point. So the first one is, there's a cost for the dance. And the second point was, uh, the dance can be stopped. But the third point is this, there is a final payment. There's a final payment, even after the cost of not fulfilling your life with God, you're going to fulfill your life with everything else. See, this is what I've learned after being in the ministry since I was 18 years old. A lot of times people try everything that their hearts desire. They try the parties. They try different guys. They try different girls. They try everything. They try this job. They try this business adventure. They try everything and as a last resort, after it all falls apart, then as a last resort, they go, oh God, can you help me? My whole life has fallen apart. Can you help me? And do you know what? Just like I preached last week, you got to hear last week's message. 
he embraces you. He's like, absolutely, I'll help you. It's like the prodigal son. It's like, absolutely, absolutely, I'll help you. But, but just, just know this, that if he was the first option, you don't have to go through all that pain. You don't have to go through that waste of time. Instead of making Jesus the last resort, make him the first option. Now watch this. For people that say, no, I'm not buying it. I'm going I'm to just keep working this thing here. I'm going to keep it as Dr. Phil would say. How's that working for you? <laughs> but I'm going to keep working it. I'm going to keep working it. If this falls through, I'll come back to the church and let's see it. And we'll just let God put it together because he's full of grace, right? Right. Okay, great. I'll be back. And there is a final payment because after a while, you no longer hear what you're doing is, is you muffle. Um, uh, oh, this sweet, precious girl. I love this one. Can, come up here real quick. Come up here real fast. Let's say that this sweet, precious girl is the innocent voice of repentance that whispers to you, get your heart right. Now what happens is if you try to go like this for too long, you doing all right? If you try to do this for too long, what you will do is you'll muzzle the voice of repentance. You'll muzzle it. And then eventually you'll take the head off and you won't hear it at all. <laughs> I love you so much! I love you so much! All right, you can go ahead and sit down. She's so precious. She wrote a note to her mom, and I still have the note in my office right now. I can show you exactly where it's at. She said, Mommy, can we come back to this church? I feel the Holy Spirit here. I'll tell you, your decision doesn't just affect you. Your kids may not say it or write a note like that. They may not say it for another 20 years, but your decision to be here doesn't just affect you. Um, that's a, that was a sidebar. The final payment. Yes, there is a payment immediately, but the final payment is far worse than the initial cost. You see, King Herod, from a distance, admired Jesus. He chopped the head off of John the Baptist. He chopped the head off of repentance. He's not interested in that message. But from a distance, he admired Jesus. Finally, when they wanted to crucify Jesus, they brought Jesus to him. And watch what the Bible says. It's so fascinating. In Luke chapter 23, verses 8 and 9, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. 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 This is the only person in Scripture when somebody talked to Jesus and Jesus refused to talk back. See, when you're not interested in repenting, He's not interested in talking. 
The people that are disappointed in church, church, uh, church is just a bunch of emotional, church, church, they haven't, they haven't connected with God. That's why they're able to say that. Ah, oh, church is just a bunch of, it's just, they haven't connected with God. And you say, well, why is God connecting with him and her and him and her, but he's not connecting with him? When you refuse to repent, God refuses to talk. So we have two options. The first option is we have this. In in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Only when I'm pursuing you with my whole heart and I'm, I'm praying while I work and I'm praying while I mow the grass and I'm praying while I'm doing the dishes. And I'm, uh, then I experience a fullness of joy. So that's option A. Or option B is... I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you don't like what I'm doing, don't expect me to ask for repentance because I'm not going to change. And he says, okay, if you're going to cut the head off repentance, then I don't have anything to say to you. Here's our takeaways for the day. Number one is pray often. Pray often. Number two, stay engaged with being a minister. Stay engaged. What does that mean? You say, I'm not a minister. I've just come to the church. No, we're all ministers. Because the definition of a minister is to care and take ownership for another. If you are constantly, you're praying And you're looking for somebody to encourage. You're praying. You're looking for someone to encourage. You're praying. You're looking for someone to encourage. You end up being the mouthpiece for the Lord. He ends up speaking through you to other people. And when we do that, then the fullness of joy. You say, well, I work at a snow cone stand. You will be the happiest snow cone employee in the world. You'd be like, let's all stand to your feet for me, please. I like our prayer partners to come down. Every prayer partner in the room, come on down if you would. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Nobody looking around. Let me ask you a question. Right now you have the opportunity to repent. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? Nobody looking around, please. If the answer is no, but right now, right now is the moment where you begin to get more serious about your relationship with God than ever before. Would you just raise your hand in this room? Go ahead and raise it up. See, I see hands are popping up all over the room. Hands are going up all over the room right now. As an outward sign of surrender, can we all just raise both hands? And let's just repeat this simple prayer, asking the Lord to come into our heart. Say it like this. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord of my life. I need your mercy. And I need your grace. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for never leaving me. 
Thank you for paying attention to me. Say this. Thank you for paying attention to me. While I wasn't paying attention to you. I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.